0: Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Co-host Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meen of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in zones one through four of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. Um, And I'm honored to be joined today by Jack Trelicio. He and I do go way back, and uh, Jack is the and you're going to have to correct me here, Jack, if I'm wrong, but the publisher, uh, I just remember, longtime editor of uh, LP Magazine, Loss Prevention Magazine. Um, so welcome today, Jack, and I look forward to you and I talking about the magazine and, and all things LP.
2: Thanks for having me. It's uh, going to be interesting. I'm happy to talk to you.
1: Sounds good. So, All right. So right before we started recording, you and I talked about um, you know, how you became engaged in the LP loss prevention world, um, what did that look like? I mean, how, how? What did you do? What did you do before that to set yourself up? And then, I know you went to Pinkerton, but how did that all unfold? Well,
2: it's interesting because I have a um, my career background is all in advertising and marketing communications, um, and I was working in the early nineties, I was working in Charlotte at a advertising agency. And I was recruited by Pinkerton services group to come into their organization to start to manage their awareness programs for retailers. Uh, At the time Pinkerton had uh, what they called alert line, an anonymous tip line that they, uh, you know, they provided that service to a lot of uh, retailers. And then they were wanting awareness programs to instruct their associates about uh, how to use the hotline. So I decided to do that. And so I joined Pinkerton in 1991, I believe it was. And I set up a creative department, hired designers, writers, those kinds of folks. And part of my role was like a product marketing person. I was to market the Pinkerton Awareness Services to retailers, and so I uh, thought, well, um, what we should do since I'm an advertising guy, we should advertise in whatever magazine services, uh, you know, this uh, segment of the industry, and of course I found out at the time there was no loss prevention magazine, so that was a kind of an interesting tidbit that I kind of put in the back of my mind. So when I joined Pinkerton, this was my very first introduction to loss prevention, and quite frankly, it took me a while to kind of figure out what in the heck LP guys and gals did, you know. I was, uh, I guess I was a bit of a Boy Scout. I thought, well, you know, who steals stuff from retailers, you know. So I was uh, i was uh, pretty uh, new to this whole industry. Uh, our clients, my first clients were Home Depot, Family Dollar, Saks, Belk, Talbots, and so I got to know LP um, professionals in a very intimate way providing their services, uh, our services to those uh, retailers. Um, So that's how I entered and became a part of this industry. And I think it was sometime in the mid-90s, Reed, one of them that we we shared a stage probably at NRF or one of the other Industry events where we were both talking about awareness problems because you were involved in awareness back in that day, right?
1: You know, I was. um, We had a. uh, I was Ross Stores district and then regional and so forth uh, LP manager, and um, it was during that time that Ross decided, um, or my boss at Ross Stores, the vice president Dave Whitney decided, hey, we're gonna uh, that we've got uh, our our chairman and our president are. Uh, partners in uh, an organization that has other startup retailers going on, Egghead Software and Workplace. And I'm trying to remember there's another chain or two. Um, they need LP help. I'd like to nominate you, Reed, to do, do this on the side. And I, well, you know what? So that's how that started. Um, you know, the, and so he said, oh, and uh, here's the deal. You're going to retain your current position, and, and your shrinkage not only should not go up, but it needs to continue to go down, you know, go down or keep doing a good job. Um, so that was that's what was going on there, Jack, that we were a division, believe it or not, of Ross stores. And uh, so we started doing training and awareness, including touchscreen IBM, doing this uh, interactive store detective training video and all these things. So, anyway, so you and I end up on a panel. It sounds like I, back then it was either M- NRMA or maybe it had become the National Retail Federation. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, I'm not really sure. Either, but uh, I know at the time I was hired the- – the major awareness uh, vendor in our industry was the network in Atlanta. And uh, I guess they kind of started the whole uh, awareness programs that were based on cartoon kinds of characters, you know, for posters and whatever because we did this, we did something similar. We had a Captain Impact that was uh, a character, and we did actually did comic books for Home Depot and Family Dollar. Uh, with Captain Impact coming to the rescue and this, this that, and the other. I'm, I'm sure that some of our listeners probably would even remember some of these uh, characters that we did. But uh, I, I hope that I kind of took awareness to the next level because I came at it from a, a marketing perspective and started doing, you know, uh, sort of target focus groups with, uh, with our retail associates to try to understand what you know how they want received things and wanted to learn and this that and the other so it was a it was a very interesting time for me and I, I stayed in that role for about oh probably about seven or eight years and then I was moved into a corporate marketing role for Pinkerton and uh, was in there in that role probably until well I guess it was 2000. About 2001, Securitas had bought Pinkerton and uh, Securitas didn't have a real high regard for marketing. So my role was eliminated in January, 2001. So I uh, started looking for a new opportunity. And uh, the the idea that I put in the back of my brain back in the early nineties about a magazine for loss prevention kind of resurfaced and I kind of put together a business plan and. About that time, Jim Lee, who I had uh, met when I was at Pinkerton, and he was, uh, he had a company called Contact that was an awareness uh, provider, and he contacted me to see if I was interested in joining up to do awareness programs, and we started talking about different things, and I brought up the idea of the magazine, and you know, after two or three meetings, he got excited about it. and. I think April first, as I recall two thousand and one is when we decided to move forward with the magazine that's how the the magazine came to came to fruition
1: that's so interesting and um, that really ties together some threads for me i you know I, tr- I was trying to remember and um I had little bits right, but not the whole thing and I of course got to know Jim lee first when he was the head of LP for, for Marshalls. And, um, and he and, and Bob McLeod of course was his number two there. And, uh, I actually just was dispatched by Ross to go in there and see if they would buy into that store detective video training program. And so Jim is, um, particularly skilled at delegation. And so, uh, you know, Bob, that's, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so, so Bob and I had, uh, you know, a series of meetings. And, uh, you know, that's where I really got to know, know Bob and what a gentleman and what a neat guy and what a capable leader. But, uh, so anyway, that's, so I had the little bits, right, I guess. Yeah. So you're, you guys, you start getting the the magazine, you decide to found it. What's that look like? You're, you know, all right, you've got a business plan. You've got a, a business partner. Now, how do you guys get the magazine rolling?
2: Well, that, that was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the great thing about um, Jim Lee and, and at the time, Walter Palmer was uh, in partnership with Jim uh, in contact. And so, you know, it was a great marriage because I, I brought the marketing, advertising, publishing uh, role and Jim and Walter were, you know, brought their industry contacts and their in- industry knowledge. So it was uh, it was a, a great uh, partnership to begin with so like i said on april 1st we made the, I'm, i can remember sitting in a hotel conference room uh and we made the decision to go forward between mid uh april 1st and, and june 1st uh, where nrf was going to be in vancouver uh, we put together from zero to finished a, a fully published printed uh, prototype so we, we contacted people to write articles for us. Uh, we even had advertisements in it just to make, to, to give it a look of a finished magazine. And uh, so, I mean, I've, uh, so we went to NRF with about, I, I think we printed 500 or 1,000 copies of it and distributed it to the uh, attendees and just kind of tried to get input from the industry as to what they thought about it. So it's interesting. I've got the uh, that initial magazine in front of me and we had uh, we had some pretty interesting articles. I mean, the lead article was written by King Rogers on Organized Retail Theft at the time that was before we, I think you actually changed it to Organized Retail Crime. Uh, So that was our cover article from King Rogers and Jim interviewed um, David Myers. From Montgomery Ward it was, a, it was the executive interview in that in that premier issue. Actually, at this point in time, it was just a pre what we called a preview issue. Uh, we had an article on Lowe's internet-based LP audit. Walter wrote an article on uh, on how to develop ROI on uh, on your different uh, different technologies and whatever. Um, and then we had an article from Steve Will, uh, Willvey, uh on pre employment screening. Those were our major feature articles, but uh, what's interesting too read, um, we have we had we contacted some people who we wanted to contribute on an ongoing basis. And so in, in the, that very first uh, issue we had an article from WZ, uh, and there's still They've been in every issue ever since. Um, Bob DiLenardo was did industry news from that very first until he retired three or four years ago. Uh, Dick Hollinger wrote an article on workplace dishonesty and he contributed columns for, I don't know, quite a number of years. We had a, a woman named Mimi Welsh who wrote an ongoing column on women in LP. And then uh, we, oh, we had uh, this was interesting, and it was very well received. It was one of our most popular columns we had it was called LP and the Law. It's written by Norman Spain out of Eastern Kentucky University and he just kind of talked about the different legal aspects of, of LP and uh, he did that for a number of years so that was our that was our prototype that we called our preview um, and when we came away from Vancouver reception was so great that we said well it looks like this is going to work and so between June and September we refined that preview uh, prototype and turned it into our premier issue that we published in September 2001 and that was our very first issue and starting in 2000 January 2002 We've been uh, publishing bi-monthly ever since.
1: That's, that is fantastic. A lot of names that I remember so well from Norman Spain and um, and and you know, yeah. The irony that, but the um, that uh, NRF that you're just, you're talking about there in Vancouver. I mean, it, to me in my mind, that just doesn't seem that long ago. I can remember sitting out there with Ed Sanchez from the Home Depot and meeting. Well, he was at Target at that time, actually, and us sitting out there and having a meeting and the beautiful scenery and all. I just can't believe it was that long ago.
2: Yeah, it, it does. Does uh, well. That was nineteen years ago. Um, and and one one little uh, one little comment I remember from that uh, Vancouver. Event. Uh, I remember being at a networking event and talking to people about uh, about the magazine and and it was uh, Paul Jones and quite frankly I think I don't know where he was at the time he was probably at uh, Sunglass Hut or someplace like that. I that. think it
1: was Sunglass Hut. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I remember t- I s- sitting there talking to him and he said he said he looked at me he said. Well, how in the world are you going to find enough stuff to write about for this industry? <laughs> and I, you know, and I, I you know, I thought well, there's you know, all sorts of topics, but I you know, it, it made it made me start thinking, but now that I look back at it after 19 years of content development, we've we've never you know, had a hard time coming up with something to write about.
1: Well, yes and no. I can remember um you're right, but those earlier planning meetings you know the editorial meetings um there were times when it seemed like it was pulling teeth not necessarily good good content but to get people to write the content up that seemed to be the the challenge you know you guys would go around the room and you know really really some guys they were in some of the people and others were like i got an idea but i don't know if i can write an article or you know it was interesting yeah but
2: well, you know you're food. you're right about that and and you know one of the things i mean we were a very small organization, still a very small organization and we didn't it's not like we had a you know a room full of writers to develop content, so we had to depend on people to write for us so um uh, you know that you know that first article I was mentioning about lowe's audit that was written by claude verville and and he will be the first to to tell you he's not a good writer and I my my line has always been look just put your thoughts on paper you may not be a good writer but I'm a great editor so I can polish it up and it'll it'll be fine and uh, so we we did depend and we got a lot of contributions from people in the industry and we still do today not nearly as much as we did Uh, we do have a couple of writers on staff now that do, do a lot of our content but we still are always looking for contributions from the from the industry
1: yeah those are those are good insights and you know I you know with you mentioned King and he had that article on ORT and and, and I believe you're correct Jack that what happened was um, somehow King and myself I don't know if we were asked or it was our idea or what to do a, a joint column in the magazine and we were trying to figure out what to call it. And um, we started talking about ORC with you. And I remember you at first saying, I don't know, Rita, I mean, everybody says ORT right now. Um, You know, I think you had your marketing hat on and you're probably thinking, you know, I don't know, guys, make your case. And what happened was I had just got, I had a little grant from, ironically, Paul Jones, when he was at, he was there for a cup of coffee at Relift, if you'll remember. And, um, and Paul called me up and said, look, I can get you a grant. If you'll go do research on uh, this organized retail theft and put together a white paper for us and something that our members can use, but also we can use because we need to go to Congress and then some of the states. Um, and so I went around and spent all that time with the FBI and, you know, uh, Florida Department Law Enforcement and Target and other um, ORT investigators at the time. And when it came back and wrote it up, I said, wow, this goes way beyond just theft. The dynamics are incredible. You know counterfeiting and human trafficking we call it now, right? there was all kind of things passport counterfeiting and um just amazing amount of fraud as well as the theft and compromising law enforcement officers and it was it was kind of scary, so we came back and and we kind of told you that, and you're like, okay, that sounds good, let's call o r c let's call' it, it's crime it's not just theft so um but what what's it how's it Let's go forward now or start moving through time you've got to establish you've got writers you you had some regular people in there. Um, how did you start to evolve the magazine? Clearly, you went digital in Europe and so on. Talk a little bit about, about that, Jack, if you would.
2: Okay, well, um, you know, we had this idea and we started and we just kind of flew by the seat of our pants. And, and as we got further into the industry and talking to different people and, and getting input, you mentioned our editorial board, uh, Meetings that we have on an annual basis, and the input they gave us, and and that kind of thing. Uh, we just started looking for new opportunities to um, for for content, and I was looking back, and uh, you know, you started you started the evidence-based LP column back in 2005, so that's that's been going on for quite a while now, uh, and that was partly, I think, due to my participation with the LPRC and my uh, backing of, uh, of the research that the LPRC's been doing and I I just wanted to give the LPRC a um, you know a, a voice in the magazine uh, on an ongoing basis so um, and then another thing that happened along the way the magazine was uh, was partly if not totally responsible for you uh, the development of a loss prevention certification. We announced that in 2006, uh, and and the that organization came together. I didn't. I wasn't participating in that uh, myself. Jim was uh, was big into it and still is as actually. Um, but then, so in like 2010, the certification was developed and, and announced in the magazine. So. That was another way the magazine uh, was was helping the industry because our mission was to inform and educate um, LP professionals, and so that, it's all kind of it made a lot of sense. Uh, you mentioned Europe; we partnered with a, a, a UK group called Oris Media, who had been running uh, events and networking kinds of um, things for retailers in the UK and and in uh, 2013 we launched a, a Europe magazine out of the UK which is still is still publishing today uh, on a quarterly basis and I'm still involved in the actual production and design and that kind of thing of the magazine it's actually done here but printed and distributed out of uh, uh, London so um, but on the digital side, you know we started off as a print magazine. I think you know, even very early on, we probably had a sort of a rudimentary uh, website that just where we put up some of our content but it was it was nothing nothing like it is today Of course, you know websites back in the early 2000s were were tremendously different than they are today so 2015 we decided to to up our game on the digital platform and we launched a new one where we were doing digital newsletters which we are still doing today and in a much more robust uh, website that was more optimized for uh, mobile media and that kind of thing. Uh, and then we also uh, just last year sort of Upgraded one more time to a fully optimized platform, sort of our digital uh, you know, volume two, and uh, and that's kind of where we are today. We still are doing these new uh, digital newsletters every day. Um, we have a much more robust uh, digital platform, much more content uh, that we put up on a daily basis on our website, and um, and it's been uh, it's been re- real well received. We have. Uh, we have over 15,000 subscribers, uh, digital subscribers. And you know, it's interesting, there's been all this talk about publishing, bec- you know, printing becoming uh, a dinosaur and nobody reads print anymore. But we still have over 15,000 print subscribers as well. So uh, I don't think magazines, printed magazines, are going to go away anytime soon.
1: You know, one thing that's always been comforting, too, uh, I can remember years ago, um, twice had the privilege to go down, excuse me, to Australia um, and going into some of the retailers, you know, Coles Meyer or Bunnings, and uh, there they've got LP Magazine or Lost Venture Magazine at the time on their desk or, you know, on a table. And, you know, the same thing in Europe and elsewhere, South Africa, I can remember. So it's just really comforting and neat and exciting to see the magazine and like you say what's what does that look like i know you've got the europe magazine that comes out quarterly out of the uk but what's your distribution globally of the magazine
2: well it um it's not as much as it was early on we uh the the magazine is distributed free uh our our sole revenues come from our advertisers and initially uh, and, and and the decision was made in part by our editorial board because if we had charged a subscription to uh, receive the print magazine, then it would probably have restricted our audience to executives or mid to upper executives who could expense that. So probably the store associate and LP would not have spent whatever a subscription would have cost to get print, the print magazine. So we made a strategic decision in the very beginning to make it a free publication. And so that's what we've done. And that's what we still are doing. Um, and in the beginning, uh, we started getting, you know, requests from outside the United States and and Canada. And so we were shipping the magazines uh, free to Europe and South Africa and Australia and all that kind of thing. Uh, and we did that for a number of years until we kind of did a, an expense, uh, Uh, looking at our expenses and we were seeing how much we were, it was costing us to ship magazines around the world. So we, after that, we decided that's, that was sort of what spurred us to get a much more uh, robust digital um, website so that people outside the North America could, could read the magazine, but read it digitally. But we still have people who pay $99 a, a year to get the magazine the print magazine sent to them in India and Japan and South Africa Australia so we still have some print uh, print subscribers outside of North America but uh, not nearly as much as we did at first when we were giving it away and sending it out on our own time.
1: That, so that's fantastic but I can imagine like you said the digital is the way to go first of all people are they still want to read they want content um, but it's tough and and it sounds like pretty expensive to send that many physical magazines out. You're already sending fifteen thousand, but with I imagine with international postage rates being what they are, um, what's how do you, I, one question I had by the way on your editorial content? How how do you all deciding now? Um, and I know you're like a conference in in so many ways in that you've got you know people that have been in roles for twenty, thirty or more years, and you've got people that are uh, in brand new and then those that are transitioning in between how how do you all try and work out that content
2: well there's a couple of a couple of ways we do it we as you mentioned we have an annual editorial board meeting which uh you know back in the the day started off with about 20 people sitting around a table somewhere uh, talking about the magazine and what we should be writing about and this that and the other and it's evolved now to where Uh, Our annual event has become almost like a a mini LP conference. Uh, uh, I think we had uh, roughly 180 people at at our last annual meeting which was in Hilton Head Island. Um, And we do get comments from from our discussions at the editorial board meetings. And we take notes about the topics that people are discussing. we also send out. Uh, you know, we communicate with our editorial board throughout the year on different topics, uh, asking them. Sometimes, for example, if we're writing an article on uh, facial recognition, for example, we might send send out uh, uh, an email to our editorial board and say, "Hey, we uh, we're, we're doing this article. Would you <clears throat> would you be willing to have to participate and, and answer some questions and blah blah blah?" So. That's another thing that we do. We also do an annual readership survey where we we do a SurveyMonkey type uh, solicitation to our readership and ask them the same thing. And so we get a lot of content suggestions from our readers. Um, so we take all these suggestions. Um, you know, we also just observe what what's going on in the industry, and we try to come up with you know, sort of the major themes of what we're going to write about in uh, in the six print is- issues. And then and, and the content, as you probably know, has it's not all just, you know, LP uh, interviewing technology, that kind of thing. We also we also have content related to management skills and professional development and things like that. Um, because what we're trying to do is, is, you know, influence, um uh, the LP and now the AP professionals to be f- well-rounded business people, not just LP specific, uh, guys and gals out there, ju- uh, just looking at theft. I mean, they have, cause, you know, as, as you know, this industry has evolved to the point where, um, today's LP professional is probably looks way different than it did back in the nineties and the early two thousands. Uh, and thus that's why so many organizations are going to asset protection and, you know, profit protection and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, our LP executives are now responsible for much more than theft and safety and crisis management and uh, compliance issues and all sorts of things. Uh, you know, some, some of the, some of the, uh, uh, SVPs and executive uh, executives out there, you know, they are they're, they're handling facilities, and um, uh, now Shannon just uh, Shannon Hunter just got promoted to you know to managing uh, sustainability. Yeah. So there's it's such a wide range of things that LPAP professionals are managing these days. It, it's causing us to look for more and more areas to focus our content on.
1: Yeah, I, I, you all have really done a great job over the years of, of doing that. It seemed like playing and providing good contact to different strata. And then, as you said, the different areas of responsibility. And those continue to change, do more with less. And, um, and you know, we, were, we had a call this morning or a recorded a podcast crime science podcast with Fred um, Becker from Bloomingdale's and he was a top executive at Toys R Us under Chris Gillen and you know during Chris's time at Toys R Us he was not only the VP of uh, asset protection but they gave him VP of customer service and call centers and so uh, you know they say this guy can handle things he's a good leader we're going to give him this very important but completely different thing And, and it's like you said with Shannon Hunter it's that's really a neat Unique thing, And you and I both know that, you know, Marvin Ellison is certainly serving in a different role now at Lowe's um, than he was when he was at Target or uh, earlier on his career at the Home Depot and uh, AP. And uh, so, it, you know, it's a, that's neat how you all have done that.
2: Well, and we're just going to continue to do that. I mean, that's the requirement and, you know, we're, uh, uh, and, and now, you know, bringing it, bringing it up to today and this COVID outbreak um, we're like everybody else. We're probably busier today than, uh, we've ever been because, you know, we're trying to keep up with all the content that's being put out. Um, you know, we when, when uh, about, I don't know, I guess it was, it seems like forever ago, but it was probably only a month ago. We started, uh, doing special, um, uh, newsletters in the afternoons specifically on, uh, on the pandemic. And because there was there is so much content out there coming from so many sources, we were trying to look specifically for just the content that was useful and specific to the uh, LPAP industry. So we were, we were looking through all the content that was coming out uh, from various sources and we weren't repeating the things that, that that you would get from your, uh, you know, your afternoon uh, local news or the Wall Street Journal or whatever that uh, whatever source of, of information that you get stuff from. So we started doing these uh, three times a week afternoon emails specific to um, to the COVID crisis, and we did that uh, for about three weeks and then we started worrying a bit about filling up people's inboxes because we've we have a daily newsletter that goes out uh, midday and then here we were sending afternoon emails out and we were just we were worried because we you know we talked to people who are in the trenches and they are just so inundated I mean some of these uh, LP executives are I mean they're working 60 70 80 hours a week Right now, so we didn't want to be a burden uh, by sending out too much stuff. So what we did instead is we created a, uh, a COVID information page on our website, and we're doing daily updates on that, and so and 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 pushing out that content in our daily newsletter, so that people are still getting the information; they're just getting it in uh, in a different way. And then there's a hopefully people are bookmarking our COVID page and they're coming back to it to see what the, the updates are. And so that's that's kind of what, how we transitioned over the last four to six weeks. And then we've also been doing some things like we've, we've done some sort of social virtual cocktail hours, you know, two or three times where we were just trying to provide a venue for people to uh, network with each other. Uh, Kind of in a informal way, and just kind of, and not really talk about COVID or whatever, just to kind of get a sense of how people are doing now that people are having to stay stay at home and homeschooling and all those kinds of things. So those have been kind of interesting. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, we started uh, a series of weekly webinars. The first one that we did was on um, was on how to handle layoffs and furloughs if you were somebody who was hit by some of the store uh, closings. So uh, we we brought in a panelist of uh, people who were from that recruiting and uh, mentoring area to talk about their perspective on the situation. Uh, Last week, we we brought in a uh, business recovery expert to talk about how to prepare your stores for reopening because uh, that's a and that was kind of interesting because there's some you know other sometimes when there's a hurricane or a flooding or whatever you might have a store closed for a few days or a week but very seldom has anyone had experience with closing a store for four six eight weeks and then coming back to reopen it and and some of the issues that you could have with you know mold and air conditioning and all sorts of things so that was kind of interesting um, this week we're, we're doing a uh, the, the webinars on on uh, some of the changes and some of the challenges and the solutions that people have been dealing with uh, on the supply chain so we're going to continue having these webinars and and all the content from the webinars we're also uh, if you don't go on the live webinar you can listen to the recorded webinar. And also we're creating podcasts off, uh, off the audio. And, um, and then also we're taking the transcripts from the webinars and turning those into articles as well. So there's a lot of channels that we're moving content through so that if, you, you know, if you're someone that likes to listen to podcasts, you can get it. If you're some, somebody that, that uh, wants to read, you can, you can find it either in print or uh, digital. So that's kind of where we are today.
1: That's exactly what we wanted to hear and what the listener needs to hear, Jack, is, uh, you know, it's really, particularly for me, of course, because I in part lived it, but it brings back so many great memories. But hearing about, you know, your career, how you moved, the genesis of the magazine, the evolution of the magazine. But then here we are in the middle of a pandemic, a global one, uh, therefore a pandemic, and um, all the different ways that the magazine and the team is working to support the APLP leaders and all their crews and um and and you and I've talked about we've had these cluster calls that are somewhat similar to yours where we're trying to help them and us understand what they're going through how they're adapting adjusting and what they need going forward particularly on the their exit strategies which I I found that what you were describing has got to be beyond useful for them to have these recovery experts in there talking about that even though there's some uncharted territory here to be sure but there's got to be a lot of lessons learned from these people. That's what they specialize in. That's fantastic. Anything else, Jack, that our listeners need to know?
2: No, I think we covered pretty much everything. Uh, you know, we're just, uh, like I said, we, we're we continuing to evolve as a publication, uh, trying to match the evolution that's going on in our industry. And uh, we appreciate all the advertisers who make our content uh make it possible for us to publish our content. Uh, and we certainly uh, appreciate all the, the list, uh, readers uh, who have been uh, reading our magazine for almost 20 years now. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times uh, someone I see somebody at an NRF or a RELA show or something like that, and they say, you know what, I've got every one of the print magazines in my (laughs) office. And, uh, you know, you made that comment earlier about seeing our magazine on executives' desks, and a lot of our uh, advertisers are advertisers because they've gone into people's offices to pitch their products and and services and they see our magazine sitting on the desk or on the coffee table and they go, dang, we need to be advertising in that magazine. So uh, that's, uh, uh, we've had a a lot of supporters in the industry to get us to where we are today. And we're going to just keep on trying to do our best to uh, keep up with the industry.
1: That's good. And I even saw some data the other day about magazines making a comeback. Hopefully it's a long-term one. Uh, but how people are finding they have a little more time to read and the value of something that's been curated like that. In addition to the almost live feed, at at least daily feed and weekly feed of other things that we get, but to have something that's a little more reflective, a little more in-depth views and things like that is much appreciated. And that's LP magazine, um, all the above really, that uh, you guys put together. So I want to thank you on behalf of uh, our team and Kevin Tran, our producer and, our listeners jack um, and obviously to you and yours stay safe and sound and have a great rest of the week and uh, we shall be back in touch
2: thank you very much i appreciate the opportunity to be on and uh, look forward to continuing our relationship with the lprc
1: absolutely we value that and thank you to all our listeners out there everybody stay safe Uh, from gainesville florida signing off for crime science the podcast